Hello, and welcome to the Orthoclips podcast series. I'm Saqib Rahman, and today I am with Dr. Fasi Shahab. He's consultant orthopedic surgeon at the Shahab Orthopedic and General Hospital in Peshawar, Pakistan. And we're going to be talking about management of infected non-unions. Uh, Dr. Shahab, salam alaikum, and welcome to the podcast. Um, uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. Great. Well, I wanted to ask you, how did you get, you know, we're talking about management of infected non-unions. These are challenging cases. So how did you get interested in doing these cases? And perhaps you can give us an anecdote or uh, a story or maybe a, an example of a patient that uh, you treated early on that kind of got you interested and exemplifies what's become a part of your practice. Um, well, these patients uh, who, with infected non-unions, uh, actually in early part of my training, I got to, uh, used to see a lot of these. Um, there was a very high volume of such patients uh, coming uh, who were treated not only in the north northern part of Pakistan, but also coming from, from Afghanistan at that time because uh, Peshawar is one, is one is the main city in northern Pakistan as well as it gets a huge inflow of patients all over from Afghanistan as well. So we used to get a lot of, of these patients and uh, and these patients had something in common that they had so many number of procedures of they had done before that some would come with like say four or five surgeries beforehand and uh, also some would then uh, one surgeon would treat them once and then when the patient doesn't get better they send it to someone senior and at the end they would come over and uh, my father being one of the senior most orthopedic surgeons in, in the province uh, as well as country so so most of people well they would end up coming to us at a time uh, <clears throat> the most important uh, thing about these patients were a they had had underwent so many sufferings from repeated surgeries and because we're from low and middle income countries as you know uh, once the bread earner gets injury so the whole uh, family spirals into poverty so treating uh, these patients was not only just from orthopedic point of view from but also from a community point of view was very uh, important. And uh, these patients were a bit very challenging. Well, I do not recall a, like a single patient who did it, but there were a number of patients who would uh, come in, in a very bad shape and after treatment, say for example, six to eight months. And uh, after that, and when they would get better and they were, for some reasons, they like gave more proud, uh, they made the surgeon more proud as well as they were more, Thank giving then what, say, for example, a simple TBI fracture, simple PMO fracture, simple trauma patient would come in that time. So, uh, and then again, going into the literature, literature at that time, uh, there was evidence, but again, most of the cases at that time, the success rate is not as high in these cases as it is in um, those days, for example, say primary cases. So that got to, that made me interested in uh, taking care of these patients much more than simple trauma patients. Okay, yeah, that's uh, clearly become an important part of your practice and I uh, can see why you've gotten so many of these patients. Um, so I, as I mentioned earlier, I find these to be challenging cases. Uh, I'll give you an example of the situation that I find challenging is you, know, you have a patient uh, with a non-union and we always are taught to always think infection. Uh, but, you know, infection is not that apparent. I mean, it's one thing if the patient comes to you and they're draining sinus or draining pus, or certainly if they have an acute component of their infection. 
But when they come in and there's really none of that, uh, they don't give you any constitutional symptoms, uh, but you still suspect and you feel you have to rule out infection. Uh, what's your workup? How do you uh, go about deciding uh, if there's an infection going on for that case that's not so clear? Um, well, that's a pretty interesting question. Um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, well, the simple blood workup of uh, ESR, CRP, WBC, uh, as well as discharge or sinus formation, well, that clearly points towards infection. Uh, but at times, there are patients who are like asymptomatic and uh, they don't have any constitutional symptoms. But when you ask, when you ask them, they, they'll tell you like it's, it's been 18 months or 15 months or over a year and uh, the fracture is not healing. And this is something which Paul Tornetta like uh, wrote about uh, about ten years from ten years earlier, that even some of the cases in which the bone's not healing, even you can find infection over there as well. So, uh, in, in such patients, uh, yes, there is some like uh, hidden infection you can say for that. Um, also, the fact that most of the patients, uh, well, when they get operated by by surgeons who are not very well trained or they don't have enough facilities, say, for example, of doing uh, percutaneous reductions or doing it close, nails, all that. So they do tend to open up the fracture site and they tend to strip off the whole periosteum. Um, well, we we refer we kind of refer them to as like stripping off like a sugar cane, for example, just make the whole bone just white. And in some cases, well, the x-ray would look just fine and the patient would may not have any symptoms, but he would be in a state of non-union or very delayed union. Uh, say over a year, two years, and bone's not healing. So that's one way, of, in, in such cases, yeah, we, found, we find such cases very, a lot of these having um, certain infection and uh, treating those uh, in revision surgeries. Uh, we, do, we, have, we also did find many patients who had the fibrous tissue in, in the fracture site that turned out to have uh, bacteria uh, when, when we sent them for microbiological uh, tests. So in uh, in non-union cases, there is a ch high chance of infection. Now, what about imaging? I'm sticking on this uh, question of uh, of workup when you potentially suspect infection. Uh, are there particular imaging studies at all that you find to be helpful, or are there imaging studies that you know you've kind of discarded because they really haven't proven helpful? Uh, well, other than when on X-rays, like we like those, there are some like trademarks of uh, in, of non-unions, like stosis of the fracture site, a gap in the fracture site. Uh, CT scan at times can help uh, if if there's a sequestra a sequestrum over there. But again, most of the patients that do present, uh, well, if you want to have a CT scan, most of them are not willing because of the additional costs. Um, MR, we don't have uh, facilities to have those. Uh, uh, MRs in which uh, there's a met metallic implant and we can still get an MR imaging. So uh, we, for, for, for this matter, it's really we do go, go more beyond CT scans for these uh, cases. Right. Now, so they have a non-union, so you've decided you're going to need to treat them. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking that there's always the potential, maybe this is infected. And again, we're talking about the case that's not obviously infected, not, you know, draining sinus, no acute component. So in those cases where it's not obviously infected, but you're culturing it just to be complete and maybe something comes back positive, or maybe it doesn't, does that change your treatment? For instance, if you're just treating a non-union with revision 
fixation, revision nail, revision plate. Do you do anything differently? Because in the back of your mind, you're thinking this could maybe be infected and I don't want to find out later on. And I didn't do something. For instance, are you doing any antibiotic cement on your implants when you do these non-unions as a matter of routine, because you don't know if they're infected? Yeah. Um, curious as to how you handle that. Well, well, in most cases, uh, we we uh, kind of do these with sign nails. Uh, sign nails has was in your earlier podcast with Dr. Liu Zirkel. Uh, we use sign nails, just stainless steel nails, which are solid nails. Um, in in such cases, so the idea, of, even infected non-unions, the idea is to remove the biofilm because the biofilm is such that that it, it kind of inhibits the antibiotics to reach to the bacteria. So. Um, and in sign nails, what we do is we do hand reamings. And I really do believe, well, I don't have any data on that, but I really do believe doing hand reamings and can really like take out all the biofilms from inside the canal. And then uh, in in treating these non-unions, we have like after doing non-unions, you can have a, a addition of bone grafts. Uh, we do not have access to BMPs uh, because there's, they are of very high costs here. Uh, I've never used BMPs in my practice because of the high cost. Uh, but yeah, um, bone graft as well as intramedullary nail uh, for most of the fractures for the femur, tibia, humerus, uh, they work pretty well. Uh, and if the and if the culture comes back positive, because it takes about a week from when we, we send them to the lab. So if even that comes positive, we then just uh, go along with the culture sensitivity report and then give antibiotics to the patient according to that. Uh, but at the time of surgery, uh, it doesn't matter uh, if it's if the patient has like is not it doesn't have an obvious uh, infection, say for a discharge or sequestrum. We uh, the treatment management treatment plan for this case is the same. Uh, we don't we try not to do it in two stages because again because of financial constraints, uh, we just do one procedure, um, take out the implant, do uh, intramedullary nail after reaming and putting in bone grafts. And uh, we have a series, uh, some uh, work of it was published a few years back. And another work is uh, is, is in the process of uh, compilation for uh, publishing. So we have had pretty good results with this technique. Got it. Interesting. You've already alluded to this a little bit, but uh, I wanted to ask, what are some of the particular challenges uh, being in Peshawar, Pakistan with, with managing some of these complex cases, uh, for instance, you know, you, you read these papers, you go to these conferences and people are saying, you know, we're doing this and that, and this is our algorithm. Uh, how have you sort of adapted, I guess, to the constraints you're dealing with uh, in order to, uh, you know, meet these challenges of these cases? Um, well, uh, I, in, in my opinion, like there are two main constraints. Uh, number one is out of the expense, out of the pocket expense of our patients. Uh, because our patients have to pay from their own uh, pocket. So, A, uh, the most choices are uh, not evidence-based. Uh, well, they, like we give the patient options and then he has to pick uh, based on his financial status as well. Uh, keeping the same thing in mind, some of the patients, the antibiotics, uh, there's some of the like the high potential, the high class antibiotics are of, of high costs. And uh, patients, when they start getting antibiotics, just... When they think they are getting well, they just stop it even after two, three days. And then that again leads to resistance uh, against a bug. And then again, uh, 
the antibiotics are freely available in the market. Any patient can go, anyone can go and buy whatever antibiotic he wants. So uh, self-medication again is, is an issue uh, because like uh, in, in Pakistan, there's a big trend of using linozolid, um, um, antibiotic for all Cephodias, MRSA and all that. And it's very widely used even uh, even for children's uh, pediatricians just try it. If, if uh, there's a small skin uh, inspection, it's not reading well, they just go right directly to that. And we are seeing a lot and lot of cases these days in which the whole culture sensitivity report has is all resistant to over 20 antibiotics. So that's it's one of the biggest challenges we have for treating such patients. Again, uh, for the second surgery, uh, if, if there is a bone defect, uh, we do a lot of masculine technique where putting in uh, um, bone cement as well as antibiotics. And again, uh, we have limited access to bone banks. Uh, there are just a few in the country. And uh, sometimes we, in, in our setup, we, we kind of use Adograft uh, uh, from, for, 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 from a patient who was supposed to go uh, by protoprosthesis or a total hip orthoplasty. We take their heads and, and then if needed, we use that as well as an Adograft. But uh, even that's very uh, scarce and very limited. And it's not really readily available to most of the surgeons uh, as well. And VMP, as I alluded earlier, is, is pretty expensive. So uh, all in also antibiotic resistance, as well as uh, expenditure on part of the patients are the two limiting factors. Because sometimes we would want to have a particular uh, surgery for a patient, but he would not be able to afford it. So then we have to go to a plan B. Interesting perspective. Um, a lot of interesting techniques. What are some of the, and it'll probably wrap up with this question, uh, what are some of the future directions that you foresee in the treatment of these patients? Anything on the horizon that uh, in another five years you think we'll be doing differently or uh, where do you hope uh, we'll be going uh, if you want to be a little optimistic with, with management of infected non-unions? Uh, well, I think in cases of like a two-stage revisions in, in the first stage when we put in an implant and then we, we, the aim of the implant is to give provide stability but to eradicate infection by having a high loads, high concentration of antibiotics which 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 eludes into the into the surrounding bone and then after a while we have to take them out and then put in a definite fixation. I think uh, there may be uh, an implant which would, would keep on eluding antibiotics for a time and or we can like without undergoing undergoing a second surgery, if we could somehow like re refill it with antibiotics, so provide local high concentrations, that could be one. Uh, training surgeons, again, training surgeons is pretty important because if if, if a patient gets treated primarily in, in good hands, he may really go into uh, these complications. Well, non-union can happen, but infection is highly preventable and can be prevented if we have, uh, unfortunately, we, don't, we lack data in Pakistan regarding optimum antibiotic uh, uh, formulations as well as combinations for treating uh, anti uh, bacterias. I think if we can have policies, not in Pakistan, but in other places as well, uh, that could help. And again, we would be interested in, for in such cases, Elizorov um, technique of circular ring ex external fixator has shown some pretty good results. And also, masculine um, technique has shown pretty good results. Uh, there have been studies comparing both. And I, I think uh, in uh, resource-limited uh, settings, uh, either of the two techniques work well. Um, and if and surgeons who are trained in either of the two can do pretty well. 
So we have to like train surgeons, uh, especially in these two techniques. I agree with that. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get there. I think we'll probably wrap it up there. Um, to listeners, I've uh, been chatting with uh, Dr. Fasi Shahab uh, from uh, Shahab Orthopedic and General Hospital in uh, Peshawar, Pakistan. Uh, Dr. Shahab, it's uh, been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity.